Well, this morning, this morning in John chapter 19, we're going to start there in verse 17. John chapter 19, John, Gospel of John chapter 19, verse 17. We're going to talk about the cross. We're going to talk about the crucifixion, but we're going to look at it in a different way. This morning, I want to look at what people had to say while Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross. I'm going to look at what people had to say, because the Bible records all kinds of different people and what they had to say, but I want to look at each person and what they had to say as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross. I'm going to start there at verse 17, John chapter 19, verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And we'll talk about those two later. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And, as, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. That was the universal languages of that day. Everybody who could read could read what that said. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews... But that he said, I am the king of the Jews. They didn't like it that Pilate had wrote king of the Jews. So it said that he said he was a king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Pilate's going to be judged by that. The Lord says, every idle word man shall be held accountable in the day of judgment. I, I know I say that all the time, but I want to stress to that to you. That he'll, be, he'll answer for that. Because he says, I'm not going to say he was, I'm going to say he, I'm not going to say he said he was. I, Pilate said, I'm going to say he was the king of the Jews. God's going to make him answer for that because God's going to say, you crucified who you thought was a king of the Jews. He can't say, no, I didn't think that, well, that's what you said. You said you thought he was a king of the Jews. Verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. Now to, to, for us to understand that here it would probably it'd look a lot like a poncho. Just have this one seam and have a hole in the top. And you just put, put your head through that. And it would come as very valuable. as very unique. And it, it was a wonderful piece of garment that Jesus Christ wore. And that's why they didn't want to rend it. Verse 24. They said therefore among themselves let us not rend it. But cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and from my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And I want to focus back up on what they said there in verse 24, at the top of verse 24. Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be. What these soldiers are, these soldiers of the garment, they're going to represent what they're saying here in verse 24. Let us not rend it, but cast lots. They represent people looking to make a buck. Off the crucifixion. They represent people who are looking to make a buck, looking to make money off the resurrection. All they see, when they don't look up and see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, dying for their sins, they don't see an innocent man being murdered up on a cross in the blood and the crucifixion. All they see is a way to make money. They're looking at the dollar signs. Uh, brothers and sisters, you need to be careful because the world wants to make money off of you. Amen. And they want to make money off of Christians. They want to make money off of Christ. They want to monetize Christ. They want to monetize Christians. If you don't believe that, go to any kind of Christian bookstore or any place like that. It, and, and I'm not make, necessarily saying that they're evil, but you go into Mardell's or any place that's like that around and that focuses more on Christian stuff, they have this... Thousands of little trinkets and little crosses and big crosses and small crosses. They got crosses with horses on them. They got crosses with lambs on them. They got this. They got puzzles. They, they want to make merchandise of you. And they want to take every chance they get. They said, there's a Christian. I think I can make a buck off of them. If you have to pay for anything associated with Christ, it's not Christ. And what I mean by that is if you're having to pay for anything associated with Christ doing something for you, if you're, if you're having to go to a church, and I'm talking to my Roman Catholic friends, if you're having to go to a church and your priest wants you to pay for some kind of something or another to pay for sins or pray for some, pay money for somebody to come out of purgatory or whatever it is, you're, that has nothing to do with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, period. What you'll find out when you study your Bible, and I encourage you, get a Bible and read it, you'll find that God says over and over again, come unto me, it's free. Amen. It's free. 
It's a free, we were studying that uh, last, I think it was last Sunday or Sunday before. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And he says in Revelation, come all those, come into the water freely. It's free. It's not, not that you're going to have to pay for. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. Amen. He wants your heart. Now listen, he wants, eventually he wants your body. He wants you to serve him. But it's all about what your heart is at. Where your heart's at. Where your mind's at. It's all about the spiritual, not the physical, when it comes to Jesus Christ. But instead of looking up what spiritually was going on at the cross, that somebody was dying for their sins, the Lamb of God was dying for their sins, they had their head down, rolling dice, trying to see if they can make a buck off of it. Amen. And they needed to look up and say, even if I was to win this garment, and one of them did, one of the soldiers no doubt won the garment and they looked at it and they picked it up and they were, they were so happy and they were showing it around and they said, I can't wait to get this home and they're probably in their mind thinking, I'm going to take this down and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to make some mega bucks and they should have been looking up at Jesus Christ, hanging up there naked for mine and your sins and his sins. All things associated with Christ are spiritual, not physical. And I've been, this is one of the themes that's been going through my preaching and not my teaching is that we need to always remember that Jesus Christ is about the spiritual, not the physical. That Jesus Christ is about, when he's talking, 99 times out of 100, he's talking about something spiritual, not something physical. Now, Paul tells us, for the kingdom of God, this is Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ said when he came into the temple and he saw that they were trying to make merchandise, he says, and said unto them that sold the doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Somebody's trying to make God's house a house of merchandise. And Jesus Christ got so angry about that. Yes, Jesus Christ got angry. He got so angry about that, he took that whip and made a little whip of cords, and he started whipping them out of the temple. He got a little violent. How violent did he get, Brother Kicking? He took a table, and he would flip it over. All that money just scattered everywhere. All the stuff there. He's, and he's whipping them out of the temple. That's how much God doesn't like that. Peter gives us a warning in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. He says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Be careful, Christian. There's somebody who's trying to make a buck off of you. And these soldiers are a perfect example of that. Let's turn back to Mark chapter 15. Turn back to Mark chapter 15. We're going to go through the different scriptures looking at the crucifixion. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to look at this together. Mark chapter 15, verse 29. We're going to have to turn to a couple of, the, uh, couple of the passages that talk about the crucifixion so we can get a better idea of what's going on here. But look at Mark chapter 15, verse 29. Mark chapter 15, verse 29. And they that passed by, now Jesus Christ, of course, was hanging on the cross, and they that passed by railed on him. Wagging their heads, wagging their heads like a dog wags his tail, just shaking their heads. I can't believe it. I just can't believe that. And railed on him and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. So Jesus Christ, as he's hanging on the cross, as he's hanging there being uh, dying for mine and your sins, there were men that would walk by, the scribes, the religious leaders, and other men would walk by, and they were shaking their heads and looking at him and said, look, he said he's a savior. He said he's a Messiah. They said he was the king of Israel. He can't even save himself. Why don't he come down? If he would come down off that cross, we would see it, verse 32, that we may see and believe. These are mockers and skeptics, skeptics, mockers and skeptics looking for a sign. Looking for a sign. I want to be so bold this morning as to say if you're a mocker or a skeptic in this world today, you're a hypocrite. Amen. I think you're a hypocrite. These guys were hypocrites. Jesus had been giving them a sign. Jesus Christ had been giving them multiple signs for them to see and believe. 
Lazarus, who was laying dead in a grave, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and came forth. He would walk through and it, it, we see, we read the, we read the scriptures and so we see where Jesus Christ comes and heals a man of his blindness, heals a man of his deafness, heals a man that's lame and has him walk up. And we see these stories like, those are amazing stories. But do you understand that the Bible describes that Jesus Christ, everywhere he went, was doing that? This wasn't just one or two or three or four or 20 examples. He was healing thousands of people at a time. It was, he was strong so much that when one woman touched him, he turned around, okay, virtue went out of me. And the disciples said, Lord, you see how everybody's touching you? You mean virtue's gone out of you. And he could tell when somebody, when somebody had pulled power from him. And the point was is that he was so thrown, people, every time people would reach out and touch him and grab him, wanted to be a part of him, he'd have to take his disciples and he'd have to try to go away and then they'd go find where he was and they would leave again. There's no reason for them not to see and believe. They just didn't want to see and believe. They were hypocrites. Uh, if he would have come down off that cross, if he would have been there as a Savior and it glorified and would have lit up like, a, like the sun and would have come down off that cross like Jesus Christ, the King and the Savior, we know he's going to come back in the second coming. If he would have came down right then, they still wouldn't have seen and they still wouldn't have believed. No, they would have made an excuse. They're always looking for excuses. And anybody who witnesses to an atheist or witnesses to a skeptic or a mocker, they always have something else. When they give you something and you explain to them something that explains to them what, why they doubt and you answer their question, does that, does that make them say, oh, I never, oh, you know, no, they, they come up with something else. And then, they, and then when, you, when they run out of something else, they just basically say, well, I don't want to, I just think that's foolishness. Your heart has fooled you. Amen. You're fooling yourself and these people out here are a perfect example of that. You know what's so beautiful about children is that they believe and have this incredible belief system. That's what I love about little children. That to them, they believe in the unexplained, the, uh, the unknown. It, it, they, they live in a world full of wonders. Everything to a little child is wonderful. Everything to a little child is it, it, it's, it's amazing, and you can do some of the simplest tricks to a little child, and, and they're just amazed. I, for years, when my children growing up, I used to tell them that my, my thumb got bit off by an alligator when I was down in Louisiana, and it's a fake part of my thumb, and then I would go like that and move my thumb like that, and I'd tell them I was taking the tip of my thumb off, and man, my kids for the longest time believed that. <laughs> now, don't say my kids are stupid. They might be a little stupid, but they believe that. They believe their dad. You know, it's stupid. And you know what I love about a kid? And I think this is the reason why a lot of men love kids. And not why, a lot of reasons why when prisoners, when, 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 a, when a, some, a convict goes into a prison house, they try to hide every way they can that they were any part of a, of a pedophile or doing anything to a child because people, even hardened criminals, love the innocence of a child. And what makes a child so innocent is he hasn't been ruined by the world to take away that wonderment, to take away that belief. And I think why most people love children is, is that these little kids, they look right past all your faults. They look past all your faults and they still believe in you. They don't look at your faults. Now, kids are real honest, amen. And I mean, you'll have kids come up to you and they'll say, you've got a big nose. And you're like, well, yeah. I do have a big, you're, you don't have no hair up there. Yeah, I don't have, and you, you love being, I, I mean, you love being around kids because they'll just come out and say whatever's on their mind. Amen. And I've been in the grocery store when one of the kids said, why is he, why is she so fat? It's like, shut, 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 shut. They'll say anything at any time. But I think the reason why we, we love kids is because they look past our all faults and they have this incredible belief system and whoever they're looking up to. You know, the Lord said that. Unless you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the, little, enter the kingdom. Um, you need to have faith like a little child. Anybody who's had a child, uh, when it comes to Santa Claus, or uh, we, we teach our children about Santa Claus, some of, us teach, some of us teach our children about Santa Claus, teach our children about Jesus Christ, teach our children about Easter Bunny, and then when they grow up, they find out that two out of the three is a lie. So it's easy for them to say, well, the third one's a lie too. We've got to be real careful what we teach our kids. But the world's real, real quick, real quick to take, to, to, to take a child and, and take a child and try to ruin his wonderment. 
but uh, the world look the world wants to be in a wonderment stage. The world loves. I think people want to go back to when they were children. That's why shows like Finding Bigfoot, the ghost shows, all these shows that are real popular on TV, all these shows where they're trying to figure out, is there a ghost and this, that, and another. Uh, the reason why those are so popular because people want to believe in the unexplained. They want to believe in this world that hasn't been explained. Because what the world tries to tell you through science and through education is we have it all figured out. And if you get to studying what they believe and what they teach and you, what they really know, they don't have it all figured out. They actually had this idiot scientist say, we're just this close to having it all figured out and there'll be no need for a God. We have it all figured out. Now, I don't care if you landed on the moon or not. I still have a bald head and you haven't figured out how to give me hair so you don't have it all figured out. And the day you, have, the day you figure out how to give me hair back, I'll start, getting, I'll start agreeing with you a little closer. Or you figure out how to fix the common cold. Or figure out, let me tell you, here, here's something you go figure out, scientists. Tell me what gravity is. They don't know. Oh, they can explain what gravity does, but to explain what is gravity, they have no idea. Do you know that gravity is so strange that if you're at the top of, of, of like a Mount Everest, that time is moving, uh, is moving slower than it, that the, uh, is moving faster than a, at the bottom of Mount Everest? Time works that way. They, they, they're, just, they're just, listen, science, because of God-given knowledge, science is just opening up just a crack of what God's knowledge is and what, how this thing works. They have no idea. And that's why you have so many scientists, and the world don't want you to know this, but I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. You have so many scientists that are coming out and saying, I don't believe in the Judean Christian God. I don't believe in Jehovah or Jesus Christ. But... But I will say I believe that there's an intelligent design to the universe. You can't deny that. So much so that these kooks, like uh, Dawkins, they'll say stuff like, I believe we got here because these aliens came from another solar system and they planted us here. And then they left and it's this kookiest, craziest stuff. And then they want to turn around and laugh at us because we believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, whatever, man. Get out of town. Get out of town. Uh, they're looking for a sign, and let me tell you something. The Antichrist is going to give them a sign. If you're looking for a sign, the devil is looking to give you a sign. Amen. Jesus Christ says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. It says, Jonas was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ gave us the sign of the resurrection. Either you're going to believe it or not. That's it. That's your sign. That's your sign. Now, the Antichrist is ready to give you signs. And the Bible warns us that in the end times, when the Antichrist are showing up, he's going to do all signs and lying wonders. The Bible says in, the, in, in Revelation that the Antichrist, the false prophet, is going to be able to bring fire down from heaven in the sight of men. All these miracles that you've seen in the Bible where Elijah was calling fire down from heaven, all this other stuff, that's exactly what the devil's going to be able to do. And if you want to believe... The Antichrist says, I'll give you a sign to believe, but you'll be believing in the wrong thing. You want to believe so hard in something, God says, God, the Bible says God's going to send them a delusion that they might believe a lie. That they might be damned. Uh, you want to believe so much in a sign, God will give you a sign, and he says, I'll give you a sign, and it'll damn you. That's our God. You're going to believe and want something. I don't care who you are. You believe in something. You either believe, even if you say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in a God, I'm an agnostic. Well, then what you're saying is you believe that your brain, your mind is God. That's what you, because you got it all figured out and you've seen it all and you've been all over the universe. You know that there's no God. You've got it all figured out. It just doesn't hound. You've got a belief system. Evolution is a belief system. Creationism is a belief system. Christianity is a belief system. All these things are belief systems. I just tend to believe in Jesus Christ Amen. because of the evidence and prophecy that you can't deny. Amen. That's what these people represent. Look at uh, Mark chapter 15. Look at verse 33. Let's move on. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, that would, that would scare me. If Jesus Christ is up there and I heard somebody say, yeah, he said he was the son of God, and all of a sudden darkness starts coming over the earth. I mean, that would, that would kind of creep me out. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our Lord and Savior hanging on the cross says, My God, my God. Now, as we went through that long study of prayer and how to pray, what did we find out about Jesus Christ and the Father? Exactly what I just said. He always referred to him as the Father. Anytime Jesus Christ talked to God, he always said, Father, 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 Father. And then when he taught his disciples to pray, his disciples said, uh, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, My Father which art in heaven. My Father, Father, Father. And here he is hanging on the cross, and what does he say? My God, my God. This is the Son of Man carrying all of our sins on the cross right here. And God has to turn, and there he is, hanging there. God has to turn his back on his son, and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he says that, and the Bible records it in the Hebrew, which is Aramic, a part of the Aramic Hebrew there, and I, I said it in the best text and accent I have, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabathani. So when he says that, they record it as, of course, obviously, God, my God. Verse 35, and some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. So they hear Jesus Christ, and, my, and I apologize if this isn't correct, but to the best of my ability, Eloi, Eloi. They think he's saying, Elias, Elias, calling for Elijah. Now, they know, some of these people know their Bible just well enough to know that Elijah was prophesied to come back before the Messiah, that he's prophesied to come back. So they hear this, and they run and get a sponge, and they're giving it to him, and they're waiting around. They say, let's, let's stick around. Let's see if Elijah shows up. Let's see. These people right here, they represent people that think they know God and think they know God's Bible, but they don't. They don't know him. Now, the first group of people that come to my mind is Jehovah's Witness. JWs, Jehovah's Witness. Second group of people come to my mind like this are the Mormons. They either or misunderstand the Bible or they intentionally twist and misinterpret the Bible. Amen. Now, here these people looks to me that they misunderstood him saying Eloi and misunderstand to be Elias, which would be Elijah. Now, these people, they think they know the Bible. They think they know God's words, but they are lost. Amen. Instead of looking out and knowing enough about God's word to be like John the Baptist, because if John the Baptist was standing there at the crucifixion, John the Baptist would have pointed and said, he's not looking for Elijah. That's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. That's exactly what John the Baptist would have said. But they cut his head off way before that. So these men, not being smart enough to know the scripture to say, that's Isaiah chapter 53. He's dying for our sins. He's being crucified for our transgressions. By his stripes are we healed. They, they, they can't see it. And they're lost. Do you know, and I, I, it blew my, my mind, almost went... Because I, I first heard this, I'm like, what are y'all talking about? I was up on the internet somewhere, and this guy was claiming, he says, I'm a Christian, because he was arguing a bunch of nonsense. I'm not going to get into that. He said, I'm a Christian, and he said, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian atheist. And I said, what in the world? I mean, these millennials, amen. <laughs> I guarantee you this guy was young. I don't know, I don't know his age. He might have been a 90-year-old man pretending like he was 15. Who knows? When you're on the internet, who knows? But he said, I'm a Christian atheist. So before I could even ask, somebody said, what, is, what do you mean you're a Christian atheist? That's like saying I'm, I'm an educated idiot. You know, I mean, just, what, I'm a Christian atheist. He said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ. But I'm an atheist. Jesus Christ was nothing more than a time traveler from a future dimension that came to him. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> It's like, are you big moron? I mean, just the biggest moronic stuff. I mean, people can think of anything. They, these are those people right here. 
They don't understand. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to teach us how to live a better life or to show us that people can be healed. He didn't come around with a flower in his head and walk around like a glorified homosexual. No, Jesus Christ came to die for mine and your sins. That's his whole purpose. That's why he rebuked Peter. We studied that and said that's why he rebuked Peter. Peter said, you're not going to die, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. That's his whole reason for going to the cross was to die for mine and your sins. And praise the Lord, he did. Listen, if Jesus Christ would have came down and told us how to live and showed us how to live and then turned to his disciples and said, okay, boys, good luck, and ascended up into heaven, I'd be bound to hell right now. Amen. This book would be just like all the other religious books in the world. It'd be just like Buddhism. Rely on yourself. Look for the light. Good luck. Well, I don't need any good luck. I need some good grace. Amen. That's what I need. I need grace because I can't do it. And Jesus Christ knows you can't do it. And he has to go to the cross and die for your sins. Amen. That's what these people don't get. They don't understand the whole concept of the word of God. They think they do. And they'll tell you they do. Oh, he's calling for Elijah. And they'll come up there, give him a sponge, let's wait for Elijah. He didn't even say nothing about Elijah. He's saying, Eloi, Eloi. He's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as a Christian, we understand he's talking about God's putting our sins on him right there. He's, being, he's becoming sin itself on the cross right there. That's what we need. We need that. So many people, go, they talk about at the crucifixion and Pilate and how evil he was. And of course he was evil. And those people crying out when Pilate said, here's your king. What should I do with your king? And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And we read that in the scripture like, oh, those people are so wicked that they would yell out, crucify him. And yeah, they were wicked. But let me tell you something. As a Christian, if you were able to tell about, teleport me back to that time and what I know about the Word of God when Jesus Christ is standing up there next to Pilate, I would have to bow my head and say, crucify him. Crucify him. Because if he doesn't go to the cross, I'm going to hell. And I need that blood to cover my sins. And as ashamed as I am to say this morning, I would have to say with a bowed head, crucify him. Crucify him. Because I know my Bible well enough to know if Jesus Christ doesn't go to the cross, I and the rest of the world have no hope. That's where the JWs and the Mormons, they get it all wrong. They don't understand God's word. Either by twisting it or by misunderstanding it. Let's go to the next one. The next one's found in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Let's go to the next one. We're, we're moving closer. We're getting closer. Getting closer being done. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Verse 39. We're going to talk about the two thieves that were on the cross with Christ. So Christ is in the middle. You have one thief on the right hand. You have another thief on the left hand. The Bible tells us they were crucified with him. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors, this is Luke chapter 23, verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. This is what we uh, know theologically as the unrepentant thief. He's unrepentant. What he's saying there, and I, I'm going to loosely give you just what, just a, what he's saying there is do something. He's on the left hand of Christ. I'm going to put him on the left hand of Christ. And he's saying, do something. What he's, what he's not saying is, I've done something. He doesn't recognize his own sin and unrighteousness. Amen. Even to the very end, as he's sitting there hanging, knowing his life is hanging in the balance, he's not looking back on his life and saying, you know, I did a lot of bad things. To, I did a lot of people wrong. Uh, they didn't hang you on a cross because you didn't bring apples to the teacher. They hung you on a cross because you're a very wicked man. That's what makes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ so horrible. And they hung him on the cross because he was wicked, and he, all he could think of is not that what he had done, not that he deserved this, but do something to me. Do something for me. Do something. You can do something. 
If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He does not recognize his own sin and unrighteousness. He doesn't realize the most important thing we all should realize this morning is he's getting exactly what he deserves. Some people say, as stupid as they can be, some people say, I want to get what I, I, want, I want what's coming to me. I want what I deserve. <laughs> you don't want God to give you what you deserve. You're looking at yourself, you're justifying yourself in your own eyes. The Bible says we all do that. And you need to sit down and you need to just meditate on all the things you've done in your life and think, you know, I really don't want to get what I deserve. Do something, do something, do something. The next guy, verse 40, the next thief, he comes along, let's look at him. Verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? Don't you fear God? God's put you up there. You know you're standing before God. You have to stand before God. Aren't you afraid that God? He probably doesn't even believe in a God. Verse 41, and we indeed justly. We indeed justly. Let me stop there. Continue on right there for just a second. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. This man, this thief, this guy that deserves to be crucified, he recognizes, verse 41, he recognizes his own sin and unrighteousness. He realizes who he isn't and who he is. He realizes, you know, I'm not a saint. I'm, I'm not somebody who's done a lot of good things. I, I deserve what I've done. He says there in verse 41, what's he say? And we indeed justly. They're getting exactly what they deserve, for we receive the due reward. Wages, the wages, the wages of sin is death. Amen. But the gift of God is eternal life. Amen. Okay, so every sin you're doing is a wage that's earning you death. And he realizes enough to know looking at the physical world, not thinking about spiritual things, but looking at the physical world and saying, you know what, we're getting exactly what we deserve up here. I was bad to my mom. I didn't listen to my mom. I ran around. I was a hellraiser. I was a thief. I, I, I slashed that guy's throat. I, was, I raped that woman. Whatever the guy did, I did all that, and I'm getting exactly what I deserve. He's repentant. Amen. See, true repentance is knowing who you are. You can't know who you, if you don't know who you are, how can you repent of what you've done? Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm getting exactly what I deserve. But this man, talking about Jesus Christ, this man had done nothing amiss. That's why criminals, like I said, that are in prison, that's why they hate, some, they hate the people who have done something to little kids. Because there's anybody that knows about the true innocency of a person is a criminal. A criminal is, a, a criminal is around wicked people. And he knows how wicked people act. And he knows how wicked women act. And he knows how, and that's why they're so funny about women. Sometimes you get around criminals, and there's nobody treats my wife any better than a hardened criminal. Because he sees my wife and he says, there's a, there's a lady. That's not a whoremonger. That's not a woman that's in the bars. That's not a woman that's sleeping around. That's, that's a lady. Amen. And they'll show respect to her. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And they'll show because they understand. They, you you got to be around all the filthiness to realize when something's really clean. Amen. That's what makes Jesus Christ so special. You get around the world, and then you get around, and you get a taste of Jesus Christ. And, oh, this is something different. This is really clean. And that guy hanging on the cross, that wicked thief says, that guy's innocent right there. I know exactly who that is. And he recognizes that he's the son of God, verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord... Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What that thief is saying here is saying, this thief here, the unrepentant thief says, give me something, do something. And this thief over here says, can you do something that I don't deserve? Can you give me something I don't deserve? What we call that is grace. I need some grace right now. I deserve everything I'm getting right now, but... Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Amen.
when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said in verse 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said, Give me something I can't earn nor do I deserve. That's called grace. And Jesus Christ says, You'll get it. See, that's the Savior I know. That's the Jesus Christ I know. It doesn't matter how wicked you are. It doesn't matter what you can or can't do for Jesus Christ. Because this man can't come down off the cross. This man can't come down from being crucified and say, Lord, I'll go get baptized right now. I'll go into the Jordan and go get baptized. Lord, I'll come down off this cross and I'll go feed the poor. I'll go pay back people I've stole from. All he can say is with words say, Lord, will you remember me? I'm getting what I deserve. I know I'm not, sorry, no good. Will you show me some grace? And the Lord turns to him in the Lord's worst hour and says, Today, yes, verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen. What a wonderful set of scripture. And we know he was. How do you know? Because Jesus Christ don't lie. No. Show me where he has. He doesn't lie. He was with him. Now those people of Eli, the ones I just, we just talked about back there, I call them the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, and these people that take the Bible and don't understand it, what the Jehovah's Witness do with that verse right there, verse 43, what they like to do, and it only takes a moving of a comma. That's it. It's so deceptive. The Jehovah's Witness, they don't like that verse, because see, that verse doesn't teach what they believe, which is soul sleep. They believe that once you, once you die, your, your, your soul goes into the ground and it sleeps and it's waiting for this resurrection and either you're going to be resurrected to paradise, which is life on earth. They call it this life on earth, which we call the millennial kingdom. See, they always twist scripture. Or you just, poof, it's in nothingness. And then some of them believe that you'll be resurrected and then, then destroyed and annihilated and that's it. But the point was, as they take that verse right there, verse 43, now read it with me. They, and they take that comma after thee. Verily I say unto the thee. See that comma right there? Verily I say unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What they do is they come in there and they say, they put that comma after today. Now let me read it. Let me read it how they read it. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. They move that one comma and it changes the whole meaning. What they say, he said, is, to, let me tell you something today. You're going to be with me in paradise. That's not what Jesus Christ said. He said, I verily I say to you, today they should be with me in paradise. Right now, today, we're about to die, and today our souls, we're going to be down there together. Because Jesus Christ was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Amen. Not in some tomb up there. His soul and spirit were down in, the, in Sheol. And that's another totally different. If you want to learn more about that, come up here on Wednesday night sometime. He's repentant and he says, remember me. That's how deceptive they can be. Let's look at one more. I'm going to go through one more. Mark, go back to Mark 15, guys. I'm sorry, I'm turning you. Mark 15 and we're closing. We're closing right here, guys. Mark chapter 15. I've shown you five different people talking at the crucifixion. Five different people talking at the crucifixion. Of course, Jesus Christ was talking and um, one of these days, I'll, I'll get up. I'll, I'll preach a sermon on the, on the seven things Jesus Christ said. I, I preached that before. I'll preach it again. But I want to close out by, by talking about what people, other people were saying. I'm curious about what were the other people saying because that's me and you. That's me and you. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. In closing, and this is the end of the crucifixion. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The, Matthew describes a great earthquake. And that, that veil that covered in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple, in the temple, the, only the holy, the high priest could go into the holy of holies, which is about this size of this church building. And they had a temple right here. And there was the Ark of the Covenant, which is about the size of this. Had the two, two cherubims over there. They had the mercy seat. The blood was poured on the mercy seat. What was under the Ark? It was the, it was the Ten Commandments. It was the law. So the high priest would walk in there on the blood, and he would sprinkle. And he's the only one who was allowed to go in there. And he was in there. And there was no, there was no light in there. The only light would come was God's glory was right here. They said God's glory would, would be hovering right here and he would drop that blood on the mercy seat for the sins of Israel once a year. 
the Holy of Holies. He's the only one that was allowed to go in. They said uh, that they had a rope tied around his ankle just in case God killed him over and they would drag him out of there because nobody else was allowed to go in there. And he had bells on there that it would tinkle. They'd go in there and they'd pull that, put that blood on there. It was a very holy place, only one time a year. When that veil rent, when Jesus Christ died, it says that veil, that curtain that separated the holy the holies from the holy of holies, it split from top to bottom. Amen. And it was about the thickness of a man's hand. Amen. What did God say there? God said, there is no more high priest. Jesus Christ is the high priest. Now we're all priests unto the Lord God. If you're going to a priest to have your sins forgiven, you're going to the wrong one. Amen. You need to go to the high priest. Amen. That's what that tells you right there. That's exactly what that's happening. So people could look in. And they could see in the Ark of the Covenant. And they could see in where they couldn't see in, but where they see in. And that glory's gone. Amen. You know where that glory's at? It's not hovering up here above the mercy seat. You know where that glory's at today? It's right inside me and you. Amen. He's living in me and you. What happened then? Verse 39, And when the centurion, I notice, this is not a saved man. When the centurion which stood over against him, against Jesus, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. Now remember, he saw the darkness, he saw the, the earthquake, and then he saw Jesus Christ uh, give up the ghost and die, cry out. What did he say at the end of verse 39? He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Amen. Who was that? Well, that's a guy. One of the last people to talk, one of the last people to talk at the crucifixion, he's a guy that said this was the Son of God, truly. Amen. The centurion was lost. There's no doubt about it, he was lost. And he represents a man who understands and sees what's going on with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and is ready to get saved. He's just this close. If you're willing to look up at Jesus Christ and see Him hanging on the cross and say, truly this was the Son of God, you're just a hairbreadth away from getting saved. Just this close. Now what makes the Bible interesting is, did He get saved? We won't know until we get to heaven. We don't know if He got saved. But that leads me to this question. Are you in here this morning? Are you, are you underneath the sound of my voice? And you've been listening to me and the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. you got this funny feeling. That's, that's the Holy Spirit moving on you. you got this funny feeling that, uh, that He's right, that Jesus Christ did die for your sin, that you know you're a sinner and you know you need to repent, and that you know, you, you know you're bound to a devil's hell and you're going to get what you deserve, but they're, they're, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you that Jesus Christ died for your sin. Are you right there at that point in your life? Are you right there at that moment, right now at that moment, are you ready, like the centurion, to say, truly this was the Son of God, and you're saying, I'm ready to get saved? Are you, you might be right there. Only you know. Only you can answer that question. But I can tell you what to do when it happened to me. Because it happened to me almost like that. I was sitting in the back of a church. I heard a preacher. I heard that preacher a lot. I grew up around that preacher. And one day I was about 17 years old. He got out there preaching, preaching about heaven, preaching about hell. I don't even know what sermon he was preaching, but I'll tell you this. I knew that in that service that struck me, maybe for the first time in my life, I was a sinner bound for hell. Amen. And I knew that Jesus Christ was going to be my only way out. I became that thief that said, I deserve what I'm going to get. Lord, will you remember me? And I got up with this feeling in my heart and I walked down the aisle and I put my hand in the preacher's hand and I said, uh, Pastor, I want to get saved. And he said, well, let me talk to you. And he led me to Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I was saved before I started walking down that aisle. My heart had already made my mind up. Just like that thief. That thief didn't have to do nothing. His heart had already made his mind up. But when he made that confession... When he spoke with his mouth, because the mouth shows where your heart's at. When I walked down that aisle, my heart was already, I was already saved. 
And I was walking down there, and when I put my, I just said, I want to get saved. I, want Jesus. I didn't know what I was doing. I, don't, I didn't even know where Genesis was, but the point was, I knew I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus Christ died for my sin, and where these other people were looking at Jesus Christ to try to make a buck off of it, to try to interpret the Scripture, try to twist it to make it say, say what it was. You had other people that were mad at Jesus and were mocking Him and making fun of Him. Some people were saying, do something for me, do something for me. I was one of those, like the centurion that said, I see it now. He is the Son of God. And that leads to salvation. Amen. And that's what this is all about. I've shown you all these sayings that these people had to say this. The main reason Jesus Christ was on the cross was for that centurion. For him to have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. But where that centurion messed up was simply this. He says, truly this was the Son of God. I'm here, here to tell you in 2019 that Jesus Christ, not was, is. Amen. That's, what, that's, what you, that's the sign. That's the sign. That you, you look at, you're a mocker, you're a skeptic, you say, I'm looking for a sign. That's the sign. That he, he, it wasn't a, he was all those things you think he was. He was a, a real person. He did live. He did die. But he came forth. <laughs> Up from the grave he arose. When he came forth that third day, he comes forth glorified and he starts showing himself. That says he is the Son of God. That's when he says to Martha, he says, Martha, I'm not talking about the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Amen. He proved what he had been saying through his whole ministry. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. What makes, you, what makes you crazy enough to say that? Well, when you can come up from the grave and show you have eternal life, you can tell people, I'll give you eternal life. Amen. That's your sign. You want a sign? That's the sign. If you, if you understand that Jesus Christ is alive right now, when you bow your head and say, Lord, I need to be saved. I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell. You've got to believe in your mind, in your heart, that Jesus Christ is listening to you. This isn't a philosophy or a pie-in-the-sky idea or just some kind of religious uh, uh, way of doing things. This is an actual Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. He's living and he's listening to every word I'm saying this morning. And he's listening to your heart. And if you have a heart to receive him, he will take you and save you. Amen. And have your place waiting for him up in heaven. Are you ready? Amen. I can't answer for you. I can't answer for you. But thank God you can answer for yourself. Amen. And I don't care what condition you're in. You might be laying this morning on your deathbed. You might be listening to me on the radio. You might be laying on your deathbed. And you might be laying in a hospital. No way to get out. No way to contact me. No way. But Jesus Christ, like the thief hanging on the cross, all he asks for you is to ask him. You don't have to come down. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to go to church. Do anything. Just ask him. Even if you can't speak, you say, well, I can't even speak. Ask him in your heart. Say, Lord, I, I can't speak. I'm in such a condition where you save me. He'll save you. <laughs> if he saved this old wicked sinner, he'll save you. I promise you that. Amen. He will. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and taking care of us, Father. And Lord, I just pray if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ, Father, that you'll speak to their heart right now. Maybe they're a skeptic. Maybe they're a mocker, Lord God. Maybe they're just kind of on the outside fringes, Lord, like the centurion, just seeing that Jesus Christ really is who he was. But, Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit will move on them. And, Lord, as we give this invitation, Father, they'll come on down the aisle and get saved. Lord, and, Father, I just pray, Lord, for a special blessing in all the Christians here this morning, Lord God, that have watched our Savior be crucified, Father, that have took that salvation, Father, that free gift you've offered us, Lord God. And, Father, help us to, to move from the cross. And not be hanging around the cross, Lord, but to move from it and to go forward, Lord God, preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, Lord God, and looking back at the cross and pointing back towards you, Lord God, but not just hanging around, Lord God. we got things to do for you. Father, I ask you to give us the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we might do those things you want, to, want us to do for you, Lord God, and give us the courage and the strength, Lord God. And Father, I just pray you forgive us when we fail you. Forgive us when we don't do those things that are right, Lord God. But Father, I thank you, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for our sins. Thank you for taking that on at the cross. And I thank you so much for that. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. 
On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you, and until next time. Casting all your care upon Him.